Welcome everyone to episode zero of the Modern Vintage Podcast and I am your host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Now this is my new podcast series and this is episode zero and the reason why it's episode zero is because I guess you could say this is a trial run before the real show starts in 2018 and this will be my monthly podcast series that complements my YouTube channel and uh, the things that I do on social media. And really, it's just a discussion of all the relevant uh, things that have been going on in the retro and modern communities, you know, for that particular month. So there's a couple of topics that I want to talk about in this episode. But before I do, a couple of housekeeping items that I want to address. Uh, The first one is, you know, this particular show is, you know, it's totally optional. This is not anything that's going to, you know, overtake or overshadow my youtube channel that's definitely something that i want to continue doing into the new year and there's going to be um, a bit of talk about you know the future of my channel um, later on in the show so stick around for that piece and i'll talk about you know what i'm going to be doing in 2019 when the new year rolls around spoiler alert it's going to be more of the same so don't be too concerned about it if you were worried that you know something drastic was going to change and also we'll be having some special guests join me on the show i've already lined up a couple of people for next year so you know if there's anyone that you'd like me to get on the show to have a chat with uh, let me know as well i think that would be really cool Uh, I've got some ideas about people that I would like to get on the show and have a chat with. So we'll definitely have some fun with the guests that we bring on the show to have a chat with. And, you know, this is going to be a lot more informal than my normal videos where it's fairly scripted, I guess you could say. I do a lot of scripting and a lot of preparation for the video that I'm going to be doing on that particular week. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started and jump into the first topic of this particular podcast. And I want to talk about the Sony PlayStation Classic. Yes, that PlayStation Classic, the one that people have completely destroyed in the media and on YouTube videos and whatnot. And you know what? I actually like the PlayStation Classic, and let me give you my thoughts and feelings about why I like it. The Sony PlayStation Classic was launched on the 3rd of December 2018, and I did a video review seven days later, one week later, on the 10th. Now, I spent a lot of time playing around with the Sony PlayStation Classic, playing games, playing through Metal Gear Solid, really giving it a good workout, and I did a lot of you know screen captures and a lot of testing and a lot of tweaking. And you know my takeaway is it's really not that bad. You know a lot of people completely dismissed the device before it even came out. You know there were videos coming out saying I'm canceling my pre-order. You know this is fucking bullshit because the 20 games on here are absolute garbage. Now come on guys, I mean the the games list on the PlayStation Classic isn't really that bad. I mean, I, I would kind of rank it a, a B minus. You know, it's definitely not, you know, top tier PlayStation 1 gaming, but there are some really good things on that games list and it's really not that bad. There's a bit of everything for everyone and I can see why Sony decided to use these particular games as the 20 games for the Sony PlayStation Classic because it has a bit of everything. You know, the way that I think about the PlayStation Classic is this is not something that's ever going to be used as anyone's kind of daily driver. This is not going to replace your PlayStation original or your PlayStation 2 that plays PS1 games or even your PlayStation 3 that plays PS1 games or it's not going to replace your favorite emulator 
on RetroArch. This is a particular device that you can easily take on the road with you on family vacations or if you're one of those people that travels for work and you're stuck in hotel rooms you know every other week this is something that you can easily bring with you on the road plug into your tv and play your favorite playstation games albeit given the fact that you've hacked the device and you can run iso images of your favorite games i really see nothing wrong with the playstation classic it should be dropped to 60 or 70 us dollars i think it needs a price drop for it to be a lot more appealing and attractive to buyers. Other than the price, I think it's totally fine. There are issues with it. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, hackers have found ways to address those things. And even if they didn't, you know, it's still not that bad. I mean, I think the biggest the biggest issue for me is the, you know, NTSC PAL thing, which can be easily addressed um, if you have uh, the, the right keyboard. You can basically just save those settings back to NTSC and then save your configuration and never have to worry about it again. So, you know, there are ways around these things. And, you know, you could say, well, I don't want to spend $200 on a Corsair keyboard. I mean, shit, you could just order a, an Amazon Corsair keyboard, you know, plug it into your PlayStation Classic, set everything up as NTSC, and then return that keyboard and get your money back. I mean, th- th- there's ways around everything when it comes to this system. Now, look, I, I do understand and respect the criticism that people have come out and said, but I just can't understand a lot of people have come out and just completely destroyed this thing without even using it. You know, people canceling their pre-orders and and pitching a fit about it, you know, that it sucks. Well, how do you know that it sucks? You know, you haven't even used the thing. And I just think that, um, look, could, could it have been better? Absolutely could have been better. You know, the UI was another thing that people criticized. I remember when the UI screenshots first came out, maybe about six weeks before release, everyone was saying how bad it looked. The The UI is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, everyone was expecting... I don't know what they were expecting. I guess that's the thing, you know. I know that the Nintendo had a really slick and easy-to-use UI with the NES and Super NES Classic. And look, I do agree that the PlayStation Classic isn't as good as, as those, but... It does the job. It does everything that it needs to do. And and for me, that's good enough. So, you know, I, again, I just felt like this particular device was kind of dead on arrival. I mean, it was already completely criticized many, many times before release that there was no way it was ever going to succeed. And that is unfortunate because for me, I think this is a solid six and a half, even a seven out of 10 device. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, the only main criticism as mentioned is the price. Now, look, the other argument that I hear a lot of is, well, you can just use a Raspberry Pi. And, you know, that's like a meme right at this point, you know, in, in that, that's like, that's like a meme. You know, everyone says that. And I, I don't know if people are just trolling or they're being serious, but if they are being serious, let me address, you know, that particular statement that people make. Yes, you are 100% correct. A Raspberry Pi or an NVIDIA Shield TV or whatever your favorite little, you know, handheld or or dongle device is, is probably better than the PlayStation Classic. It probably emulates a PlayStation better than a PlayStation Classic because you can have shaders, you can have high-res textures, you can overclock, you can have a better frame rate, 
All that stuff is probably true. Here is what I would say in response to that, however. The PlayStation Classic is a simple-to-use plug-and-play device. You literally plug it into your TV, plug in your HDMI video cable, and start playing PlayStation games. With a Raspberry Pi, you have to read a fucking you know, two-page document, you have to watch YouTube videos and learn how to set the damn thing up. It's not that easy to do. Now, before you tell me that it is easy to do, it's really not. If I bought a Raspberry Pi today and wanted to set up RetroPie, look, I have a fair idea about what I need to do, but I'd be jumping on YouTube and watching like an ETA Prime video on how to do it. You, do you see what you see the point here the, this particular device is literally a plug and play device and that always in my opinion is a better option than fucking around with a, a retro pie or a raspberry pi and trying to set one up now sure once you configure and set up a raspberry pi and you make it work and you have all your button configurations laid out the exactly the way you want it yes I absolutely agree with you. The Raspberry Pi shits all over the PlayStation Classic, but there is something to be said about ease of use and uh, a good user experience and a good, you know, a good, easy and simple way to play PlayStation games. Literally turn the power on and push a button and you're playing games in about 10 seconds. That, that, that's something that cannot be understated in my opinion. I also do want to address the hacking that's been going on over the last week and a half or so. You know, we've seen some very fast advancements, which we kind of expected to see with the PlayStation Classic. So now you have the ability to load your own games off a USB flash drive. And I think this is going to continue on as more and more advancements are made. I think ultimately we'll get to a point where you'll be able just to plug in a flash drive that's preloaded with a couple of hundred PlayStation games on it and nothing else will need to be done. So, you know, there's definitely more to come here. But on the flip side, one of the other criticisms of the PlayStation Classic was there was no internet connectivity and no way to update the device. So a lot of people felt like, you know, what you got was what you were stuck with. And I think that's untrue because I think we now know you can update this device via a flash drive. If you have a flash drive that's labeled Sony, then you plug that into port two, the Sony PlayStation Classic will read off of that flash drive. So I do think there is a way to update this and there may be some firmware updates that do come out that address some of this stuff going forward. So it really remains to be seen. You know, part of me does think that this is just a cash grab for Sony over Christmas. I mean, this is the ultimate stocking stuffer, I guess, for that 35-year-old that grew up with a PlayStation 1, you know, when they were in their, you know, 20s or something that really wants to go back and enjoy some of those games. Look, for people like you and me, you know, the tech heads, the geeks, the guys that have retro systems and collect old retro games and stuff like that, this isn't really what we were meant for. I mean, this is for someone else. This is not for us. This is more for interest and tinkering around with and messing around with and hacking 
and, and things like that. You know, the PlayStation Classic is is a gift for, like I said, a, a 35-year-old, 35 to 45-year-old that grew up playing PlayStation 1 and playing all those awesome games. They see it when they're in the department store and, you know, they tell their wife or their girlfriend or whatever that, you know, I want this for Christmas. This is cool. You know, I used to play this back in the day. And I think that's that's what the the main target audience is. And, you know, most of those people could give two shits about the emulation or the the frame rate or even the PAL versus NTSC, although, you know, Tekken 3 does play like, you know, your feet are in quicksand the whole time. So, you know, there's definitely something that Sony would need to address there. But at the end of the day, that's their opinions. I think really, if you are on the fence about getting one of these, don't read don't put too much stock into what you've heard and what you've read try one out you know get one on amazon i mean i mean they have an amazing return policy just get the product and if you don't like it send it back and i think you could you could definitely do that with the sony playstation classic so the last word on this is you know there's definitely more to come with the playstation classic we've really only seen the earliest of hacks that have come out. I think there's going to be a lot more user-friendly options and abilities to play any game you want off the device and maybe even, you know, different emulation for the PlayStation itself. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it look, it, it gets the job done. It's a totally fine product. There's nothing wrong with it. And I do believe that it got a very, very raw deal on YouTube and in the media. Since we're on the topic of classic systems, retro throwback systems, whatever you want to call it, I do want to talk about the Nintendo 64 Classic. Now, before I move on to the meat and potatoes of this discussion, I do want to say that there has been no official announcement that a Nintendo 64 Classic exists. And if we go back to November of 2018, Reggie from Nintendo came out and said that there was no plans for an N64 classic. And a lot of people kind of call bullshit on this because of course there is, you know, the Tri-Wing controller has been patented and, you know, 20 games or something was was recently filed by Nintendo as, as as this kind of mysterious games list. There's these kind of fake renders of what the systems kind of look like. And all this kind of stuff. Now, here's my opinion about the Nintendo 64 Classic. And this is from someone that has obviously had experience with Nintendo 64 emulators. For those people that don't know my credentials, I developed a Nintendo 64 emulator for the original Xbox called Surreal 64, which took three existing PC-based emulators and made them work on the original Xbox and squeezed them all into 64 megabytes of memory. Uh, you know, I, I just want to mention kind of my credentials and my experiences I've had with Nintendo 64 emulation. The thing I will say about the Nintendo 64 Classic, this fabled Nintendo 64 Classic, I'm not going to say it's never going to come because that is, you know, if if I was going to put money down or if I was going to make a bet on something, well, of course it's going to come at some point. But I think it's further away than people think. You know, a lot of people were waiting for the reveal of the Nintendo 64 Classic in 2018, the big ticket Christmas item that Nintendo was going to reveal, you know, for the holiday season. But I never felt like that was ever going to happen. And I'll tell you the reasons why, because at the end of the day, 
when we talk about Nintendo 64 emulation, it is another level above the Super NES and NES emulation that has occurred with the NES and Super NES Classic. The emulation that is needed, the amount of processing power to emulate a Nintendo 64 and have those games, have the games list that they want to be able to be played at good speeds without any stutter or choppiness or any hitches or sound glitches. You know, that's something that you almost get with the territory when you emulate a Nintendo 64. You're always going to get some type of hitches or flickers or stutters or, you know, choppy slowdowns here and there. It's really hard to emulate an N64. And the current hardware, the current hardware that they use to emulate the Super NES and NES Classic is not powerful enough. They need to come back to the table with something that's more powerful from a processor perspective probably something that has four cores and runs at a minimum of 1.6 gigahertz as well as one gigahertz of ram i think one gigahertz of ram is probably what's needed to push a dynamic recompiler as well as a powerful gpu in order to manage the 3d opengl or vulkan renderers that that ultimately will need to be used to emulate an n64 now when we talk about the super nes classic and the nes classic you know, they're pretty simple to emulate. I mean, when it comes to the rendering part, it's really just a 2D bitmap image that needs to be rendered to the screen. Nothing else needs to be drawn. When we're talking about the Nintendo 64, we need to start thinking about 3D rendering. And that's where more processing power and a dedicated GPU is essential for this to work. Now, look, I'm not, again, like the PlayStation Classic, I'm not telling people anything they don't already know. A Raspberry Pi can emulate an N64. We know this, and that's something that is an option. But as I mentioned, Nintendo likely wants the most the most, you know, smoothest crystal fluid experience that they can possibly get. You don't want stutters, you don't want slowdowns, you don't want hitches, you don't want, you know, triangles disappearing, you don't want any type of flickering. All these things are kind of part and parcel with N64 emulation. I guess what I'm saying is it's not perfect by a long shot. I think Nintendo is 100% looking at the N64 Classic. I think Nintendo's in the research and development phase right now. I think they're trying to figure out the cheapest way they can manufacture the boards and the chips and get a good solid Nintendo 64 experience with the 20 or so games they're planning on revealing with the N64 Classic. I don't think they're past that phase yet because, you know, the other thing that you have to consider is they will need to use an emulator. And I don't know where that emulator is coming from, whether they're, they're building their own or they're, you know, they're basically lifting open source code from something like Moopin 64, which is a very good Nintendo 64 emulator, whether they're licensing that particular emulator or they've told their R&D team, okay, guys, go off and write the best Nintendo 64 emulator that you have. So, you know, it does remain to be seen what we will what will come from this. I firmly believe that the N64 Classic is about 18 months away. I mean, it's definitely coming, but I do believe that there's more research and development that needs to happen. They need to find the right balance of cost 
and processing power and GPU performance, as well as, you know, the, the price. I mean, it may not be a $59 product. It may be more expensive. And that may be something that Nintendo is desperately trying to avoid. And, you know, there's also the issues with the games. A lot of Nintendo 64 games don't emulate very well. Some of the ones that they want to put on the list may not be ones that, that run as good as, as normal. So, you know, there's also those things to consider as well. You know, N64 has always been a very complicated beast to emulate. And again, look, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's absolutely doable. I mean, shit, we ran Nintendo 64 emulation on an original Xbox. Anything is possible here. It's further away than people think. And I kind of chuckled a little bit when people were kind of disappointed when Reggie came out that it wasn't being revealed or it wasn't coming out this year because... I just felt like, come on, guys. I mean, we're still a ways away from a good N64 experience. And if the PlayStation Classic emulation has taught us anything, is that more work needs to be done, you know, in order to bring out these kind of throwback consoles with cheap Chinese ARM-based, you know, processors and devices for the 32-bit and 64-bit stuff. It's easily doable with the 8 and 16-bit stuff. You can do that stuff all day. But when you take the next level, you take the jump to 32-bit emulation and Nintendo 64 emulation, that's another can of worms. And I think, you know, more time is needed. And I do think Nintendo will eventually announce this product. I think they'll probably announce it towards the end of next year. But I do believe it's probably another 18 months or so away. <sighs> well, I, I do. Uh, I did get off on a bit of a rant there on, on both of those topics. But, um, you know, I do think it's important to be realistic about about these, you know, classic systems that come out. I think as we see more and more of them being revealed, expectations are very high. And look, to Nintendo's credit, they, they came out firing with the NES and Super NES Classic. Both of those systems are very, very good. So the benchmark and, and the, the, the benchmark and the, the, the measuring stick is set very high for other companies to come in and do as good of a job and it's and it's tough you know it's tough you know with a 32-bit system a 32-bit mips based playstation system competing with the stuff that nintendo has done that is very very difficult and again you know i'm not not defending the sony playstation classic but i do think it's it's a serviceable enough product and i think they've done a, a decent job with with what they have could it be better absolutely no doubt about it and maybe we'll see some you know revisions in the future of of you know a, a playstation classic 2 or something that comes out later on or maybe some firmware update via the usb stick or something like that okay so moving along to the next topic what am i playing for christmas so i usually have this thing over christmas where I kind of take a break from playing video games. And what I normally do is when I have time off work over Christmas, typically I'll have a three to seven day kind of break between Christmas. I usually like to unwrap some of the games that I got for Christmas and play them. And I usually like to complete every single thing that I've bought. Now, this year, I'm probably not going to be able to do that because I know for a fact that I've got a huge backlog of games that I'm playing through. So just to give you some perspective, 
the last game that I've played and completed was Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I really, really liked that game. Again, that was another game that that um, reviewed very well, but a lot of people complained about the grind. And look, there is a grind to that game. There's no doubt about it. But I really enjoyed it. I finished it. I didn't come anywhere close to 100%ing that game. I never have any interest in doing so, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. But you know, since then, I haven't really played anything. And the only game that I've tried since then is Fallout 76. I ended up getting a um, a cheap copy of Fallout 76 to see what the fuss was about because, you know, I don't know if you guys have worked it out by now, but I don't tend to t- put too much stock into, you know, reviews and, and, and YouTube videos and stuff like that. I usually just tend to try something out myself and form my own opinions. And I've always been that type of person and I've always kind of lived my life that way. So the same thing applies with Fallout 76. I kind of felt like, a lot of people were just kind of criticizing it. But a lot of people would also say on YouTube videos, this is actually a really good game. You should give it a chance. So me being me, I bought a copy of the game when it was at $29.99. So I got like the cheapest discount you could. And remember, this was the first week after it had launched. So I was waiting for a cheap copy to appear and I got one. Now, um, I started playing it. I've played about... 10 hours of the game i've got like a level 20 something character and look i agree with everyone this game is absolute garbage i can't stand the game there's so much things that piss me off about it and i do believe and i do agree with what everyone has said about this game that this is a monumental catastrophic failure by bethesda this is a terrible terrible game and I uninstalled it since um, playing it to level 20. And I don't really care about any of the patches they're bringing out with it. I, I just have no interest in this game. It- it's such a lifeless game to play. I can't explain how it feels. And those people that have played the game can probably understand. Not only are the graphics very, very poor, when um, you're, especially when you're indoors, you know, inside like a, a room or a dungeon or something, but the gunplay isn't very good. There's all sorts of bugs and issues. And it's such a lifeless game because this is supposed to be like an online experience where there's a lot of other people running around. And I can tell you that I played the game for, you know, 10 hours or something. I only ran into a handful of people during that time. Now, I don't know if I wasn't in the right server or if I was in the right part of the map, you know, maybe more of a high level area. I only came across a handful of people and it just felt really kind of isolated. And maybe that's the point of this game. Maybe that's the point that you, maybe that's what you're supposed to feel when you play Fallout 76. But in the end, I just wasn't having fun playing the game. I I didn't care about the next quest or the next weapon upgrade. And I just didn't care about, you know, I needed to find food in order to survive. I just kind of felt like this game is like a tech demo almost like a it's a tech demo of what Bethesda could do if they brought Fallout online but there's just nothing there there's there's no game there it's 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 very disappointing um I, I kind of went into it with you know low expectations and unfortunately those low expectations were met and I've since you know stopped playing the game I've uninstalled it and um you know I, I've kind of moved on but that's the last game I've I've kind of officially played 
until Christmas when I will be playing Smash Brothers on the Nintendo Switch as well as Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, my goal is to play and try to beat Red Dead Redemption during the break between Christmas and New Year. So I usually have like a week or so, you know, to, to play these games. And usually I sit down and play them pretty hardcore. So I am looking forward to playing some of these AAA games that I didn't get a chance to play over the last couple of months. So, you know, that's what I normally do at the end of the year. I kind of save those games and really, you know, when I have a lot of spare time at home during the Christmas holiday break, to play some games so i'm looking forward to that and uh if there's something that i should be playing that um you know you want to recommend to me let me know uh, I'd, I'd be very interested to hear what what everyone else is is doing over the christmas break now of course you know i always like to play retro games and everything as well but i really am wanting to talk about the you know the triple a modern games that are out for the system but red dead redemption and smash brothers will be the two games that I really hit hard over the holiday season and I'll probably sprinkle in some Call of Duty Black Ops 4 as well which um which I really like you know I've always been a Call of Duty guy believe it or not uh, I've been a fan of that series pretty much since the start uh, it's just something I don't normally advertise um, on my channel or, or in, in any case I'm not a hardcore multiplayer guy but I've always liked playing the single player campaigns I thought they were always fun to play and I like the multiplayer stuff I like playing Kill Confirmed and some of those deathmatch games Call of Duty has always been a quick in and out type of game where you can play five minutes worth get your fix and then kind of move on so that's another game that I'll definitely be playing over the break okay so one topic that I do want to cover on the show is YouTube reviewers. Now I'm not talking about video game reviews because typically a video game reviewer will be sent a preview or a review code, you know, many days before the launch of the game. So they usually they'll have ample time to play through the game and form their opinions on the particular game. I think a YouTube video game review is is fine. You know, I, I think I think they're great. I think publishers sent out review codes i think that's totally fine i have no issue with that i'm talking more about the hardware stuff that i'm seeing these retro companies that send products to reviewers to do reviews on they don't necessarily need to be under embargo or a pre-release type of thing but i'm finding more and more that the reviewers aren't doing a very good job of the reviewing the product. Now, I don't know if it's because they've been sent the product for review and they don't want to ruffle any feathers if there's any issues, but I think, you know, most reviewers that I watch are pretty transparent. If they're not happy with something, they're going to call it out. And I've, I've definitely seen that and I, I definitely respect that. I'm talking about just not enough time was spent reviewing the product and some glaring omissions were found in the review that were things that I picked up very, very quickly. And one example that I can think of was earlier this year when the Analog Super NT was released, many of the reviewers, the YouTube, the large YouTube reviewers, released videos on the day that the embargo had lifted, which I believe was one week before the actual release of the product. Now, what really bugged me was you could just get the feeling that everyone was you know, rushing to get their reviews ready and out the door because they wanted to maximize the number of views on their channel. Now, look, as a YouTuber, I'm all about the views. You know, I, I respect the hustle. I have no problem with, with that at all. What gets me is when every single one of those reviews that I saw 
did not address a glaring issue that I found 10 minutes after I started playing this thing. And again, I don't know if it was because they were just rushing to get the review out the door or, or what have you, but the thing that I noticed when I got my Super Analog NT, and at the time, I wasn't going to release my review of it because I had already had mine for a week after release. So we're talking about two weeks after those initial reviews had gone live. Two weeks had passed, and I felt like, you know what? I'm going to make a video on this, but no one's going to watch it. But I also don't care because, you know, I want people to know what my opinions are on this product. And I really am grateful and I'm really happy that I have such an awesome supporter and subscriber base that watches my stuff and, and wants to listen to my opinions on things. Now, my opinions aren't always right. Sometimes I'll say things that are just ridiculous or I'll have an opinion that's just not normal or just plain out wrong. You know, I, I acknowledge that, you know, I make mistakes, but I also really respect that people want to listen to my opinions and my thoughts about things. And that's one part about being a YouTuber that I really appreciate that people want my thoughts. And I remember when I was going to do a review of the Super NT by Analog on Twitter, I said the question, you know, should I do this review? I don't know if I should. It's already been out for two weeks and it's already been reviewed to death. No one cares. And I got responses saying things like, I really respect you and I want to hear what you have to say. That's one of the reasons why I watch your channel so much. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. You know, even if one person comes back and says that to me, I'm just going to make a video on it. So I did a review of the Super NT. It was not a you know, sponsored or paid review or whatever. They didn't send it to me for free. And again, I don't have an issue with that. You know, I've done some sponsored reviews like that before where, you know, a company will send me a product and I'll review it on my channel. I typically don't do that very much. If I'm going to do that, it's definitely going to be something that I'm interested in owning myself. If I'm going to review some shitty at games system from Walmart that costs $20 that plays, you know, five crappy arcade games, I have zero interest in that. And that's not something I would ever buy for myself. So that's not something I would ever push on my on my viewers and subscribers. I don't think that's fair on them. It's not definitely not fair on me. You know, I'm not wanting to cheat anyone out of anything making fake um, hype or generating fake hype about a product that I personally would never use. So anyway, going back to the Super NT, when I had the product, I spent a whole week with it and I had an issue where my first unit was defective and broke down and I got a replacement board by analog. And if you've seen my video, you know everything that went on. And if you haven't seen the video, go back and, and watch it. It's a pretty good video. I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. But in any case, one of the biggest issues that I found that none of these reviewers had mentioned, none of them, was that there was a clear palette issue with this device. A 200 plus FPGA, you know, excellence and accuracy advertised everywhere as the the best product you'll ever, ever get had this glaring palette issue to the point where the blacks were being crushed in games like Mega Man. If you watch the background, it was just a, you know, solid black background. And it was so apparent to me there was a problem with the color palette. In fact, I remember doing a live stream and I was playing Super Return of the Jedi and a lot of my viewers were, were saying, 
what's wrong with the palette? It doesn't look right. It's 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 way too white. And I was like, yeah, it is. There's something up with this. This isn't this isn't right. And when I kind of investigated further and kind of AB tested some games with a real Super Nintendo, it was very apparent to me that the colors were, were bad. I always think about that particular example, and I always wonder why no one had called it out in their reviews. And it goes back to the fact that these reviewers had a particular set amount of time to race and get their review out as quickly as they could so it could be ready on the day that the embargo had lifted in order to get all the views and all the accolades. Now, for me, if you cannot call out a simple issue that I found in about five minutes after playing the device and my viewers found on a live stream, it's very hard for me to respect you as a YouTube reviewer. You have to be more willing to come to the table and be more open and honest about things. And if you need more time to get your review out the door, then you should take more time. You'll, you'll definitely earn more respect from people like me and the majority of people out there. Just because it's embargo release day and you have your video ready to go, if you haven't covered things like that, you know, people spend a lot of money on these things. You know, a, a Super NT costs $240 shipped to your door, you know, with UPS ground. I'm not, and I'm talking about in the USA. I'm not talking about overseas. The postage is probably a lot higher, you know, shipping overseas. But in any case, you're paying a lot of money for a device like this. And with the excellence and accuracy advertised everywhere, it's pretty much in your face, you should be getting that excellence and accuracy that's being advertised. Now, look, I will say that that particular palette issue was addressed in a patch later on, which is awesome. I love the fact that Analog NT acknowledged those issues and came to the table and provided an update for it. That's not the issue that I'm talking about in this particular piece. Now, I do want to wrap up this piece and say, look, I do have a lot of respect for a lot of YouTube reviewers my Life in Gaming comes to mind, Todd's Nerd Cave. A lot of those guys really take a lot of care and attention with the product that they're reviewing and, and being very clear and open and honest about things. And of course, Digital Foundry will usually do a good job with their reviews as well. But, you know, I will say that in the Super NT example, they also missed the color palette issue. And that was very surprising to me. You know, John Linneman does a exceptional job 99.9% .9 of the time. But for whatever reason, this particular issue was was missed. And it was something, as mentioned, that, you know, I noticed fairly quickly and, and my viewers noticed in uh, a live stream. So the last topic I want to talk about is my YouTube channel. Now, this year, I've had a fantastic year on YouTube. At the start of the year, I was at about 24,000 subscribers, maybe, and we're going to end the year at maybe 124,000 subscribers. So if I can get 100,000 subscribers in a calendar year, which is very, very achievable, I'll be a very happy guy. Now, look, anything over the original stretch goal of 75,000 subscribers that I set for myself at the start of this year is an absolute bonus. So look, I've been very pleased with the growth I've had this year. My audience and my viewers and all the new subscribers that I've picked up, you guys have been absolutely amazing. I love reading comments every single Monday when I'm releasing a video. I get some amazing, amazing comments and feedback from you guys, and it just makes it all worth it. I really, truly believe I have the best audience in the world. Now, I don't call you guys fans because... I don't like that word fans. You know, people say my fans sent me this or a fan sent me that. 
I don't have fans. I mean, let's be honest. I'm just a regular dude. You know, a fan is someone that like buys a ticket to a concert, you know, to go see their favorite, you know, creator or producer or musician or whatever. You know, that's not something that I think I'll ever be able to do, you know. And I'm not saying that because that is a goal of mine. It's not. You know, I, I, I hear these YouTubers call their, their audience fans. You know, a fan sent me this product. Well, look, you know, if you're going to appear at a concert or if you're going to appear at some type of event where you're speaking to an audience and you start charging ticket prices, you know, like 10 bucks a ticket and everyone buys a ticket to go see you, then yes, you can say that you have fans because they are people that that follow you and, you know, want to go see you and want to pay money to see you. But if you don't, if you're just, you know, there for a meet and greet and, you know, 50 people show up and you just kind of shoot the shit for 30 minutes, then they're not fans. They're just they're just your audience. They're just people that you know, you know. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm definitely not trying to be braggy. You know, this is me being more humble than anything. Um, I, I'd rather just, uh, you know, call you guys my audience or my viewers because that's what you guys are. I mean, producing content for free, watching content for free, getting feedback from people, subscribers subscribing to you or people subscribing to you. They are not your fans. And I've always you know, felt that has been the case. Talking about my channel for a minute. Um, had a really good year this year. Very, very pleased with it. And um, more to come next year. Nothing is going to change. I had some questions about, you know, you're going to go full time and you're going to release more videos. I look, I'd love to release more videos for you guys. You know, nothing gets me more excited than making YouTube videos. A couple of weeks ago uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday season, I was uh, on vacation in, in New York and I was gone for about seven days from home. So I was away for seven days and I missed making videos so badly. Like I told my wife, I really, really want to make videos. I miss making videos. And the first thing I did when I got back to my home was I started to make my next video. So I love making videos. It's one of my favorite things. And, you know, for me, I have a full-time job and going full-time YouTube is not something that I don't think I'll ever be interested in. I can tell you from now that it really needs to pay the bills and YouTube does not pay the bills. Uh, even though we have a lot of new growth on this channel and look, I've made a little bit of money on YouTube, but um, it's not anywhere near the money that I make with a full-time job. And it's not to say that I'm rich or anything like that. It's the money that I make on YouTube is below the poverty line. And look, I can't I can't drop everything and just do that full-time. It, it's not a smart choice for me at this time. And it probably wouldn't be for a long time. And, and even then, you know, I've told this to many people, is that YouTube is so, such an unstable platform where the sands are kind of shifting around you at all times and you don't really know what's next. I mean, next year, advertisers may turn around and say, you know what, we don't want to run ads on retro-related content anymore. That's not something we're interested in. It doesn't make us any money. And they start pulling ads on those types of videos. Then then what happens? I mean, you know, everyone in, in that kind of community is screwed. So those types of things I think about a lot. And unfortunately, YouTube is such a dynamic and volatile place to be that you really should not put your eggs in one basket on YouTube. Now, a lot of people have Patreons and, and other forms of kind of income 
they have sponsorship deals and stuff and that's cool again you know i respect the hustle i respect anyone that does those types of things my own patreon setup as well and i'm not plugging my patreon at all but you know i have that thing set up as well it's really just a tip jar if anyone wants to throw some dollars in they're more than welcome to do so but it's not really something that i advertise too much but look at the end of the day youtube is not a stable or a viable product for me to to take the plunge and say I'm going to do this full time because this is the way that I want to, you know, to continue on. It would be nice if it was something like that where, um, you know, it was more stable and less volatile. But unfortunately, I can't see that that happening for a long, long time, if ever, you know, especially this year with the adpocalypse stuff and, and last year in 2016, where it was very, very volatile with different things going on, where advertisers were pulling ads from videos and we had the demonetization stuff that was going on on pretty much every single video that i was uploading it just doesn't make economic sense for me to to be to go full time yeah i mean that was like five minutes of me basically telling you guys that i'm not going to make any changes into next year it's going to be a monday schedule of videos like it was this year nothing's going to change so you know if, if people were expecting more content next year unfortunately I, I i can't do that but you know at least at a minimum you know monday mornings videos you'll be you'll be getting those so so hopefully you guys appreciate that and i think you guys do but yeah you know again you know i'd love to have more content for you guys but unfortunately it's going to be the weekly monday morning thing and i think you guys have really responded well to that so you know hopefully we'll will continue to grow the channel next year i will tell you this guys you know to be transparent and open with everyone um, my goal for next year is 250,000 subs right now i'm hoping to end the year about 125 so i think 250 is achievable considering the fact that i made 100,000 subscribers this year i can definitely get to 250 i think as long as you know i don't start to lose some relevancy or or or, or have already peaked you know a lot of people are scared that you know they're gonna kind of drop off and lose relevancy or they've already peaked and they don't grow as much but you know for me i feel like if i continue to keep the content you know varied and and different and you know engaging then i think everything's going to work out pretty well so look that's what i wanted to tell you guys about you know my channel and where i want to see myself growing uh, going into next year into 2019 i think there's definitely big things planned and and definitely things moving forward with my channel that i'm very excited about uh, i am probably going to do some rebranding as well um, i'm going to do some different logos and and different things like that probably make up a new line of t-shirts as well you know get more into the merch side of things i think that's kind of cool to get some merch and some t-shirts uh, i have a, a line of t-shirts that i've sold to some people and um, I think that would be really cool to get more into that side as well. So I'll definitely be kind of spending some dollars on the advertising side to, to get more of my brand out there. And, um, you know, I can definitely do a better job on that as well. But so just to wrap up, this was episode zero of the Modern Vintage Podcast. And I'm your host, Modern Vintage Gamer. You can find me on Twitter at Modern Vintage G on YouTube, Modern Vintage Gamer, of course, Facebook, Modern Vintage Gamer, Instagram, Modern Vintage Gamer. Now, if you guys need to reach me on social media, just hit up any one of those and you'll be able to find me. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. And for everyone out there, 
Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas or holiday season wherever you are in the world. Have a wonderful new year. And we will be back next year with another episode of the Modern Vintage Podcast. So have a wonderful holiday season and I will catch you guys in the next podcast. Bye for now.